In my three decades as a reporter at CTV Toronto, I've covered a lot of crime and the court cases that follow the crimes. I'm Austin Delaney, and along with former Toronto homicide detective Steve Ryan, now CP24's crime analyst, we will delve behind the scenes into the cases he solved during his 13 years in homicide. We begin with a case that caused the seasoned detective to finally think about retiring his badge. Melanie Bittersing, 17 years old, tortured and starved to death, weighing just 50 pounds at her death, what an eight-year-old should weigh. That noise, that squeak, is what I heard the first time I stepped in here, and that was after the search warrant was being executed in the apartment where they lived. Memories are flooding back for Steve Ryan. We are entering the front door of the lobby of a large 1970s white brick high-rise in Toronto's Parkdale neighborhood. That door, exactly the same sound that I heard when I was here in 2013 to execute the search warrant. The lead investigator on the Melanie Bittersing 1994 murder is taking me back to the scene of the horrific crime. By the time the retired sergeant had picked up the investigation, there were no leads. It was a cold case known as the girl in the suitcase murder, a murder the detective would successfully solve. So we executed the search warrant in 2013 because we wanted to uh, get a layout of the, of the apartment itself. And I remember walking in here and just trying to take in the, the, the atmosphere, take in if these, I get it that the aesthetics have changed, but the, the, the foundation of this place hasn't changed. If it could talk, you know, what, what did it see? And what did Melanie see when she was walking in here and basically never came out again? What did she see? What was she thinking about? It was 1990 when Melanie's father offered the 13-year-old a better life in Canada. So Melanie, her younger brother Dwayne, and half-brother Cleon left their birth mothers in Jamaica to live with her father Everton and his new wife Elaine. Two moms in Jamaica, uh, they were poor and I've been there and they really grew up in really tough, tough areas. So these moms loved their kids to the point where they allowed them to go live with their father for a better life. Because people have often said to me, and I've heard this comment, what type of mother lets her child go off to, to Toronto with her, with her dad and, and she's stuck in Jamaica? I said a mom like uh, Opal Austin who loves her kids to the point where she cried and missed them every day, but she felt they were having a better life here. That's why she wanted to send them. I think uh, Everton was duped by Elaine. And once the kids were here, Melanie instantly became Elaine's maid with regards to taking care of Elaine's children and cleaning the house as well. So you said brought over as slaves? Yeah, to me, they were brought over as, as, as slaves, as people who are here to, to work. Uh, Cleon, the older brother, had to work with Everton doing crimes. The uh, Dwayne, the younger brother, who was 14 at the time, I believe, had to work. He did a paper route, but had to give all the money to his dad. And Melanie was uh, the housekeeper. She cleaned the house. She was beaten if Elaine thought that her kids weren't being cleaned properly or they weren't being fed properly. Or if Cleon didn't teach them properly, he was her teacher, the older brother. And if he wasn't teaching her babies properly, somebody would get beaten. We're now in the lobby of what was her new home. So when she came in here the first time, she thought she was going to school. 
When she came here for the first time, she thought she was going to school. She wanted to be a nurse. She was very excited about meeting new friends. And uh, I don't think she left this place less than five, more than five times in three years. She was confined to that apartment for basically from the time she walked in here when she first arrived until they took her out in the suitcase. Melanie's case would be described as one of the worst cases of child abuse in Canadian history. Chained to a chair, sleeping on the floor, beaten, her head put in the toilet and flushed for punishment, forced to bathe on the balcony. Elaine's kids with Everton. There's two, right? There's three. Three kids. The two boys and the girl, they were babies at the time, and Melanie was responsible for all three of them. And they didn't have any of this horrendous treatment? None of this treatment. They never went to school. So you have six kids in this apartment. None of them ever went to school. And they didn't go to school because Everton was too afraid that at some point in time, somebody was going to drop a dime on what he was doing. This is why he smothered all of them, including Elaine. And that's, she says, one of the reasons why she came to the police or to her pastor initially was because he wouldn't let her out of his sight. He kept everybody in a circle because he was afraid that somebody was going to tell We make our way to the apartment where Melanie and her brothers were held as virtual prisoners. So what floor is it? 22. You know, I've said before that uh, to me this is like the spider web. I mean, that uh, Melanie and her, her siblings came here with such high expectations, came into this elevator for the first time and basically never left. She had only been out a few times and when she was out uh, for her last time, they carried her out in a suitcase. So I see this as a spider web and it actually makes me feel kind of, uh, I don't want to say anxious, but it makes me feel for, for her, for what she was thinking when she was in this going up for the first time, how happy she was. And then the last time she's going down in a suitcase and that was, that was the end of her. So I mean, it's heartbreaking. It really is, you know. So we know the answer, but she didn't. That's right, Yeah, she didn't, just a kid. It is a short ride up, 22 floors. So 2203 is the first place they lived on, which is just down here. And you see that uh, fire exit there? Yep. That too is striking to me because Melanie escaped. And she, despite the fact that she had 21 uh, healing fractures, vertebrae, her, her uh, pelvis, her legs were broken. She was 50 pounds, she hadn't eaten. She dragged herself on with her hands out of the apartment and into that stairwell. But Melanie's short-lived escape would turn out to be futile. Her half-brother Cleon would find her just feet from the apartment where she would eventually die. The retired detective opens the door to the fire escape, but there would be no escape for this desperate young girl. Once she made her way here, she sat here and contemplated what she was going to do next. Uh, her family was dispatched to search the building for her. Her family, her parents obviously knew that she couldn't get far because she had those 21 healing fractures. And experts have said that she wasn't able to walk, that her pain would have been so bad that she basically would have had a tough time breathing. So when she was found here by her older brother, he said to her, we can't trust the police. Basically, dad tells us that the cops are bad. We have no friends, we don't go to school. You gotta go back to the apartment. So he brought her back to the apartment. She was then put in chains. She was forced to live in a rice barrel again. 
and put in the closet, and uh, that's where she lived. Steve Ryan is now seated on the cold concrete stairs where Melanie once sat. It is a typical low-rent apartment stairwell. The walls are freshly painted beige. Ryan is haunted, now knowing that life for Melanie was about to get much worse. She lived, I would say, over a year because Dwayne died in 1992. And according to all the family, the beatings for Melanie got worse in 1992. And she wasn't murdered until 1994. So a year and a half to two years, it was just pure hell for her. I may be reading into this, but I, and tell me if I'm wrong, but you seem to get more emotional when you talked about this part of it. What, what is that? I do because this is where it happened. It's easy to talk about something when you're distant from it, but when you come back to the scene here, when you come back to and you visualize where she sat, and then you hear the witnesses talk about what went on, you put that all together. And it's, it's very tough, yeah, it is very tough. That's a good observation. And those witnesses are now going through your head as you talk to me. Their, their, their voices. Their voices, what they said, and then you just look around here, and this is the spot where it happened. So it's, when you come back years later, after knowing all the details that I do, yeah, it's tough. Steve mentioned Melanie's younger brother, Dwayne. We will get to him and his mysterious death a little later. But for now, there is something else that haunts the veteran detective even more. Steve, how far away is the stairwell where she escaped from her apartment? Oh, it's about 20 feet. Can you show me? Sure. <laughs> Melanie did not get far. It is just a short walk to the apartment 2203, a house of horrors. Melanie would for hours be confined to a small closet, too small to sit, and would be forced to stand, alone, in the dark. And in one of the closets there was scratch marks on the wall, and I imagined her doing this. With her nails, trying to go through the drywall to get back out here into the hallway. And I thought, and I still think this, that as a kid, who was she calling out for. Mom and dad are the ones that you call out for when you're sick, when you're hurt, when you're scared. She was all three. And mom and dad are the ones that put her in that closet. So who, who is she calling out for help for? Breaks my heart to think about. And her brother couldn't help her? Her brother couldn't help her because he was uh, getting beaten as well. And his job to survive was to kind of walk that fine line between keeping dad happy and not, not uh, um, being Melanie's buddy at the same time but he was still looking out for, for her in his own way, but he, he, he was helpless, he couldn't help her. And it wasn't his fault. While Melanie was murdered in that apartment in 1994, no one reported her missing. Her birth mother in Kingston, Jamaica, was told by her father, Everton, Melanie had run away to the States. By September 1994, police had her remains. They just didn't know at the time. It was Melanie. Police say a girl between the ages of 11 and 17 was found stuffed inside a suitcase, sandwiched between two burning tires. For 17 years, only three people knew who she was. 
The only people that knew it was Melanie was Cleon Vittersing, Everton, and Elaine. Detectives were stumped. They tried everything to identify the girl in the suitcase, frequently asking the media for help. OPP Constable Frank Dalby, using a mix of science and art, was able to reconstruct the skull and facial features of a girl found dead last year and never identified. In the end, it would be Elaine Bittersing who would spill the beans, telling her pastor her husband killed his daughter. Three of them kept their mouths shut, nobody would ever know. They would have got away with murder. I think Elaine never thought that part of it through. By now, Steve Ryan was the lead homicide detective, and he's speaking to Elaine Bittersing at the police station. Did you see Melanie in the closet when she died? Yeah. Do. What does her body look like? The state of her body. She was thin. Maybe she was getting enough food. The interview goes for four hours. Elaine blaming her husband. Once she said, I didn't know anything, I knew in my mind that there was 21 broken bones that were healing, that were never seen by a doctor, were never reported, and that the doctors told me before that interview that. Melanie would have been in such excruciating pain and she could not move. She would have been basically immobile because her pelvis was broken, her uh, legs were broken, her ankle was broken, and her vertebrae was broken. So when Elaine says to me, I didn't know any of that was going on, you gotta call BS on that one. Next, Ryan brings Everton in and confronts him directly. Did you kill your daughter? No way. Did you ever hit her? Who killed her? I really don't. Who killed her? If it wasn't you, who killed her? Once those two interviews were done, I actually went outside of 52 Division because that's where those uh, two were brought. And I stood on the corner of uh, Dundas and University and I just found myself almost gasping for breath for about 15 minutes because I just could not believe that I'd come face to face with those two who I considered monsters. Everton would be found guilty of the first-degree murder of his daughter, Elaine guilty of second-degree murder. But there is still the question of what happened to Melanie's younger brother, Dwayne, who fell 22 floors from the apartment balcony to his death, at the time ruled suicide. But Ryan has a different theory. So this is where Dwayne was buried? Yeah, this is it. So just on the other side of this uh, memorial wall, I guess, is where uh, the grave was. It is a warm spring day as we walk along the cemetery lawn to where the grave was. The weather today a far cry from the cold January day in 2013 when Ryan was here to exhume Dwayne's remains. That day when you exhumed his body, that wasn't the first time you were here. That's right. I came by here the night before on my way home from work. It was about 7 o'clock at night. It was dark, Dwayne's gravestone marked with just a number, a pauper's grave. Nothing visible to say a young boy was buried here. I uh, stood by uh, Dwayne's gravesite, and then I told him that I actually apologized to him and said that we we're going to be disturbing him tomorrow uh, because I wanted to make sure that nobody did this to him, nobody hurt him or, or, or killed him. and. Uh, I stood there for about five minutes, and that was the first time I did that. 
I just felt compelled because it's such a huge deal to dig somebody's body up who's been laid to rest for, for you know, a decade. Um, I just felt he should know that we're, we're going to disturb you. Kid, sorry. Ryan wanted to know if Dwayne had suffered the same fate as Melanie. All we had was crushed bones, and that can be explained simply by just a fall from 22, 22 stories. But Ryan does not believe the 14-year-old boy took his own life, jumping over the apartment balcony. He has his own theory that Dwayne had escaped the house of horrors but was caught again and faced with a severe beating, tried to escape again by climbing over the balcony and accidentally fell, plunging 22 floors to his death. We drive about six kilometers north from the gravesite. So Steve, 18 years before you got the case, this is really where it began. This is where it began, on the, at the rear of uh, 391 Bradwick. It is an industrial plaza where a police officer, quite by accident, found the burning suitcase and where the long journey to getting justice for Melanie began. Hey! Rochelle, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. Good, good. How are you doing? Look at your big smile. Oh, you're looking good. This is Melanie's sister, Raquel. Ryan keeps in close contact with her and Melanie's mom in Kingston, Jamaica. The last time I talked to her, she was really having a tough time um, with Melanie's death and Dwayne's death. How is she doing now? Oh, she's still, she's still, she's nowhere near Eileen right now. Melanie and Dwayne were supposed to come to Canada for a better life in the care of their father. If you had a chance to speak with Everton and Elaine right now and they were listening to you, what would you say to the two of them? Oh, for me? Well, anybody would ask, why? Why? Ryan would wrap up his policing career after investigating yet another murder where the victim was found in a suitcase. Can you draw the two together, the suitcase case and another suitcase case was just too much? Yeah, that's exactly it. The suitcase itself was a, a symbol of the, 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 the tragedy that was inside of the suitcase. So those suitcases to me represented pure hell and I just could not see another one. Yeah, I've seen a lot of homicides, I've seen a lot of dead bodies, but to see a body in a suitcase more than one time, for me that was, that was it. We'll explore the murder of Dr. Lane Shamji on our next podcast with Steve Ryan. I'm Austin Delaney.